0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor.
1: I'm Matthew Fox from the Star Wars Universe podcast. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast.
0: Today we're talking about Minute 113, which begins with the Roto leads, Robert Cristino, Brian Higgins, Oscar Ojeda, and Jared Finn, and it ends with a reminder that the persons and events in this motion picture are fictitious. Um, any similarity to actual persons or events is unintentional. And, Andy, gosh, I, I'm just so glad that they told us that because I remember reading about some <laughs> crazy things happening in New Mexico, and I thought this might be true.
1: Uh, right? Yeah, I know. It's uh, Thank goodness they have that note for us just so we know this really wasn't happening.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we're going to talk about the, those warnings in just a minute. Uh, two kind of quick questions before we jump into the credits themselves. And the first one would be if it you know, I think a lot of these are good choices. We don't have to go through everyone, but if you were gonna remake this movie today, or re- recasting it today, who would you cast? Like, is there any kind of particular person that just jumps to mind as like, I this this is the person who maybe because you didn't like the original casting or just because like this is the person who would do it today?
1: Boy, that's an interesting question. You know, if um I don't know if it's so much recasting, but but maybe like I, I I I get frustrated that Isabella is, uh, you know, an Academy nominated actress and has so little to do. And it's one of those parts that it's kind of is it, it becomes an infuriating like, oh, what is she in this movie for? Why isn't she doing more? I almost would cast her with somebody that either give more to the part or cast it with somebody where I'm not thinking those things.
0: To remind people, she's the person who is like pouring the coffee and running. She runs Isabella's diner. But she's got right. maybe like Is, right. three or four lines.
1: Right, Adriana Barraza uh, um, plays her, and you know she was uh, got an Oscar nomination when for her performance in in Babel, and you know, and I I don't know, I just I find her to be such a compelling person to watch on screen when she's in a part like this. I'm like, why why are you here? And and so it ends up being one of those frustrating uh, bit parts.
0: You know, it's one of those things where you, you always have to wonder what the story is, because I know there have been times where I've I've heard about things like this and gotten super like, ah oh, how could they waste such a great talent only to then find out that the actress had just finished a major project and had another major project in two weeks. And Kenneth was like, oh, I've got this great part for you. It's like, eh can I just read a line or two? You know, so, so I have no idea who, what happened. But but yeah, it, it definitely seems like it, it seems a big disconnect to have someone of that that caliber play such a nothing kind of a role.
1: Yeah, that's the frustration with it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe this is just because I think he's such a good actor, and, and they, they they he played a villain in the MCU, and so he died so quickly. I would kind of have loved to see Michael B. Jordan as Thor. Like, I think he's such a charismatic actor. He, uh, This is the actor who played Killmonger in Black Panther. If I was doing it all today, A, because I just think a Black Thor would be an interesting direction to take it, but also because – He's so – he is so charismatic and he's so good at that, like, I'm being obnoxious but you love me anyway kind of thing that Chris Hemsworth also pulls off quite well. So that was kind of the one that I – that came to mind for me.
1: That's an interesting choice, especially when you look at something like his performances in the Creed films and Mm, you can see, like, he he can carry some of that, like – Cocky arrogance yeah. that that Thor certainly has. I think that uh, there would be something interesting with that. Uh, so yeah, that's that's an interesting one.
0: Yeah, Creed is definitely part of what I had in mind. Like I, it, it's hard for me again going to Idris Elba. It's hard for me to not think of Michael B. Jordan as just the scrawny kid from uh, The Wire where he was 13 years old at the time. and But yeah, he's really kind of grown and matured and such a great actor.
1: Oh, he really has. I just like, I mean, you look at it, I mean, such a variety too, like the Creed films, but then you watch something like Fruitvale Station and stuff. So yeah. Yeah.
0: And he's oh, finally choice. now getting to play things where he doesn't die. Uh, his, the, he, he very famously said at one point that, that he was very excited to tell his mother about uh, Creed because he had died at the end of almost every TV show or movie that he had done. And his mother just couldn't <laughs> take it anymore. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So that was a nice change. All right. So let, let's dive into the credits. Um, so as we mentioned last time, we're now back to the score. We're no longer uh, in the songs. The score just seems like it fits so much better. And we get reminded that there's only two songs that are credited in this movie, which is which is funny because often now I'm used to it being like a whole you know soundtrack worth, and it's "The Walk" by Foo Fighters and "I Can Help" by Billy Swan. And just I'm not sure that Billy Swan is going to become top ten on my playlist anytime soon, but it just remind I went I watched that and I had to pause and go back and listen to "I Can Help" because I like that that song is really kind of ridiculous and silly, but uh, but a fun song and fits so well into the movie in that moment that just seeing those two songs side by side kind of reminded me like, yeah, I can help. I like that song. Walk. Not not so much.
1: Well, and and, you know, I think that speaks, though, to the importance of finding the right songs for the right moments. Like, I mean, there are plenty of soundtracks that I listen to that have amazing songs that fit so well in that particular scene. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the key is it, it fits for the scene that it's in. It's not a song I'm going to listen to all the time, but for what they're conveying and the emotion that it's trying to bring out in the scene or whatever it is, like that's, that's where it, that's where it works so well. And, and yeah, I mean, like that, the Billy Swan song. Uh, that plays, um, when all the, the townies are trying to pull Thor's hammer, it fits. It feels like the right sort of song for that place. And the Foo Fighters, I mean, it's not my favorite song, but for the bar scene, sure, it works in context of the scene. And that's why I think, like, Dave Jordan, the music supervisor, like, he does a great job helping, not only dealing with all the rights, but helping the director and the team find those songs that fit those moments. And, mm-hmm. and that's where I think the strength is. Now, I mean, yeah, I think, over the course of the MCU they really start figuring out especially because certain directors come on board that that have very specific songs that fit the character but also make for a great soundtrack i'm thinking like Guardians of the Galaxy like mm-hmm. that's a whole different element but yeah. for this sort of story i think it, it i think dave jordan did his job of finding the songs that fit specifically for the parts not so much for the end credits. Like, I hate listening to the Foo Fighters song here, but in the bar, it was fine in the bar. Just yeah. leave it in the bar. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So, so we get the songs. We also get uh, told who's different. What is a roto? What is a roto?
1: A roto, a rotoscope. Um, this kind of goes back to all of the people involved in the uh, 3d conversion um rotoscoping is where you are literally like you're cutting it's it's like you know (laughs) grade school like when you're cutting things out you know and they're basically digitally cutting each of the actors or, or any of the elements out within a frame so that they can then manipulate them individually and so the rotoscope um it's called rotoscoping and so they've just shortened it to roto roto coordinator roto artists they're all the people who are involved in the rotoscoping process
0: Got it. OK. And then we find out that the movie was shot and on location at Cerro Palin Ranch in uh, Galisteo, New Mexico, which we've talked yep. about before, and yep. also filmed at Manhattan Beach Studios in Manhattan Beach, California. So does on location just mean that you're not in a physical studio or does it have a more specific meaning than that?
1: No, it just it's it's it is on location, like you're on on location wherever. And, and so it, it just letting you know. Um, that you know, there there was some filming outside of an actual studio. Like we were actually at this uh, this place outside, um, filming these these scenes. And same thing, like the Manhattan Beach Studios in Manhattan Beach. I mean, that was that was like the studio that they did the work in. But they actually did also film um, exteriors of the horses riding on the beach that they then digitally um, converted to the horses riding on the Rainbow Bridge. So oh, okay, cool. Uh, so there was some of that as well. Otherwise, yeah, it was all a studio project.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, And then we realized that the uh, ravens were provided by Birds and Animals Unlimited. I I do like seeing little things like that. Like, if you think about just like, yeah, like how much much animal training goes into all that and that they're – uh, my my co host often on superhero ethics, Paul Hoppy, who we had as our guest last week he 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 has really kind of put animal rights a lot more into my radar screen, and so I am always very glad that we get these reminders like none of the animals were harmed, you know everything you know uh, were, were treated well and then i I know there's uh very high standards on how you have to treat animals when you 're shooting with them on on screen
1: nowadays yeah yeah sadly uh you know i I think the you know working with the um, humane society. Um, in projects like this, uh, the American Humane Society has really changed over <laughs> over the uh, history, and it's it's great nowadays that it has become a thing to kind of get that American Humane Association stamp at the end of the film, saying no animals were harmed on this particular film. But back in the days, like in the westerns when john uh, John Ford was making westerns with John Wayne, I mean, they would have ropes tied to horses' feet, so as the host as the horse oh, galloped God. at full speed, Suddenly it would hit the ropes and it would flip the horse over and the stunt person would come flying off. And that's what they would do to kind of create those scenes where the horses were, you know, getting shot and and stuff like that. It's just it's horrible to find out what actually had happened back in the day. So, yeah, I think there's, um, you know, there's a lot of um, importance with having that and it reminds you how – how things used to be, sadly.
0: Well, yeah, we, I mean, and we talk a lot about how actors used to be very badly treated, stage workers, like, we're, you know, that it's important to us that the, the unions get treated well and that all the all the people involved on set, and then I think it, you know, it goes for all, all the, the living things on set get treated well. Absolutely. Uh, so then we get to Special Thanks – and there's a couple of different people listed one of whom is a little bit eyebrow raising and and we're going to talk about each of them but what does that mean when it, when it says as part of the very end of the credits special thanks to
1: um there there's a number of different um thanks there's sometimes um you know it's people who were involved in the process or or their creative work lent to kind of this even though they didn't necessarily work on the film and that's you know, you're seeing like a lot of the like everybody here on this list is because of their comic background like their part in thor history in the comics at marvel that really led to kind of all those little bits and pieces um you know like they weren't jms working on the script but they still had a part in playing kind of the evolution of Thor over the course of his comic history.
0: Yeah, And I know, I mean, there are so many, uh, like there's, there, if you're interested in kind of like legal stuff, there's such fascinating and at times really upsetting, you know, legal stories about who has the rights to these things. And, you know, there's stories about like the, the original creators of Superman and Batman having to sue many years later because they got so little of the money from it. So, so it definitely is nice to, to see those things. And I, I, This podcast I don't think is ever going to sort of be able to dive into like the legal history and stuff like that. But I I do want to mention – because they mentioned Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and I I think rightly so. We've kind of deified Stan Lee a little bit. The MCU certainly has as like the granddaddy of uh, the MCU and Marvel Comics. And there's a lot of folks, especially Jack Kirby and now Jack Kirby's estate, who have a very different version of the story of what, what Stan Lee did. And I, I kind of – I've hinted at it a little bit. There's not much you want to think and I can add to the conversation. But just kind of want to bring up that like I think it's great that Stan Lee gets cr- so much credit. Import If it, it's the kind of thing you want to dive more into, there are some very interesting discussions about, like, how much was Jack Kirby? How much was Stan Lee kind of becoming the public face for things that maybe other people did? And, and it's kind of a whole history that 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 can be worth diving into if that's your thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of... I mean that's that's a whole podcast in and of itself, like Stan yeah. and Kirby, like the Stan and Kirby story. I mean that you could spend a number of episodes, kind of like back and forth, kind of dealing with kind of the 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 stories back and forth with with all of their history.
0: Yeah, I I, I was reading somewhere that someone who someone had been trying to get that movie made to do like a Stanley and Jack Kirby story, but that part of the problem was that both of their estates were like. Not giving any permissions because there is still there are still a lot of legal cases that are still out there and there still is fights about like who gets credit for the stuff and things like that you know um, yeah yeah because yeah it's right. it's comic book authors in it, 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 Stan Lee was able to kind of make himself into a celebrity in a way that most comic book creators have not and there's a there's a lot of stories out there about people who you know like I said like I think the um, the, the two guys who created Superman got like a $500 check in 1940 and then didn't see anything until decades later when they sued for something.
1: And, yeah, right, right.
0: Uh, so some of the other people on the special thanks list, um, Walt Simonson and Louise Simonson, I think we've talked about them already, right? They were the ones who actually yeah. see sitting at um, uh, that final
1: feast – Exactly, at the banquet table there. And, and, you know, Walt Simonson had the run of Thor in the 80s. That is, you know, one of the seminal runs of Thor uh, where, you know, with uh, just so many interesting characters that uh, certainly were created and storylines. I mean, that's where Frog Thor is. That's where Beta oh, Ray nice. Bill is. And uh, just, I mean, yeah, a very, very prominent figure in kind of Thor's mythology. And his wife, uh, Louise, absolutely um you know, we talked about the two of them and how she was so much a part of comic book history as well. So, that, yeah, they had their little cameo at the end as well.
0: And so then we have Oliver Coppio, Uh Olivier. Olivier.
1: Yeah. Olivier copiel is a French comic book artist uh, who worked on Thor also. Um, worked on House of M, Legion of Superheroes. I think uh, for Thor, it was um, a more recent a run of thor i'm not actually sure specifically okay. which or like what what the years were um, but certainly in the more recent like leading up to this film like uh i know he did some cover work in 2009 on thor tale of asgard for example and so nice. um you know very much kind of a more recent thor uh thor storyteller
0: cool and then a uh, larry lieber and sal Bushima.
1: Uh, again, another comic book artist, uh, Larry Lieber, uh, very much uh, was involved in Iron Man, Thor, Ant-Man, um, and, and did a lot of work with those stories. Uh, I, I think it was uh, really back in the early days with, with Stan Lee and stuff, like back in the, in the 60s and everything. The one that really
0: threw me, and I actually to look this up to make sure it's the right person, Ralph Macchio, who... I know, and I think 95% of people know, as the Karate Kid, who has now kind of had his acting career resurfaced uh, with Cobra Kai. Did he take a break and write comic books at some point?
1: <laughs> well, I'm assuming you know the answer since you just said you were doing some research. But, yeah, it's a different Ralph Macchio. Um, this one is a comic book um, uh, editor, writer, uh, executive editor, Um a lot of daredevil work, okay. Um, yeah, that 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 he's done, um, and has done quite a bit of work, um, with a number of different uh, Marvel stories, um, including back in like the uh, back with Transformers, back when Transformers okay. was getting started, but um, also was kind of in the eighties, seventies, um, working on some of the stories, um, in there, and I'm not sure uh, when specifically Thor, uh, I think. I think it was in the early 80s right. that he was, yeah, yeah, Thor uh, with Mark uh, Grunwald, 80 to 81.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I did do some research. I uncovered that, but I, I was a little disappointed, yeah. especially because uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but one of my favorite TV shows, I'm sure it's not – it's not all realistic, but but it's poking fun at Hollywood and a lot of Hollywood people appears themselves is entourage. Sure, Ralph Macchio appears in it as a character at one point, and he kind of makes some jokes about how this is before Cobra Kai. You know, he's just been sitting in this nice mansion for thirty years after making the Karate Kid movies, trying to figure out what to do with himself. And so I had a, a couple seconds of enjoying the idea that somewhere he would picked up a pen and started writing Thor stories because you know <laughs> he, he, he could do it. But no, why not? Just not the case. It's um. So I, I I try to keep too much politics out of it. But you can probably tell I'm somewhat of a, a union-dyed lefty. It was really fun to see the union logos come up at the end, uh, because I always seen those pictures and had no idea what they really were until, for different reasons, but because of the strike, uh, I, I'd done some di- deep diving and Andy even part of that into the unions and all their role in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, you've got IOTC and the Teamsters uh, mm-hmm. in the their logos popping up at the end here. Along
0: with, like, the Motion Picture Association and
1: things like that. Yeah, and then uh, the companies that we've talked about, like right. like Stereo D is in here. And the different sound, you know, Dolby Digital, SDDS, mm-hmm. uh, Datasat, Digital Sound, stuff like that. So you see a number of the... And Kodak, it was nice to say, oh, this, this was back when we were still filming on film. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, instead of it all being digital. Yeah. So, and then we do end with these legal disclaimers, and I... I mean, I guess that there's, you can go on Twitter and find 8 million jokes about this, about things where it's like, you know, a bottle of rat poison and it'll have a legal disclaimer on it saying, please don't drink. Um, you know, so I guess we're just in a world where everything is disclaimer. But I, I just wondered if, you know, because we now see this disclaimer on every piece of fiction. Is this just like, was, was there some lawsuit at some point where <clears throat> things got sued? Like, it, it seems impossible to me to imagine that anyone would think, gosh, I wonder if this Thor is based on a real story. Um, what, what, why do we need that disclaimer, all of, even on these completely out there movies?
1: You know, that's a great question. So, okay, I, I did some real-time research, uh, I, which I'm cutting out, but everyone will get to kind of hear this answer because I didn't know until you asked that question and I did a quick search. It turns out that it's the strangest story. Um, it all circles back to none other than Grigory Rasputin, believe it or not.
0: Okay, not not the person from— wait. Gregor Rasputin, like the guy from Russia.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. It all circles back to him. Um. There was uh. There it, it, basically there was a film made by MGM back in 1933. It was a it was a biopic about Rasputin that was called uh, uh, Rasputin and the Empress that they had made. And they, they, this was again before they put this disclaimer on films. And Rasputin, well, I, I, I don't know if it was Rasputin or, or people like in his uh, family, whoever it was. Yeah. Cause he, he was killed. Quite famously,
0: it took eight different ways to kill him, but he was killed in 1917. So I'm guessing not him, but yeah, maybe his family or okay, someone no, like
1: that. Okay. No, actually, who it was, it was actually his wife, Irina, um, uh, who had, Uh, Had had sued them and because she had been living penniless in Paris after uh, after everything that had happened with Rasputin and um, and she thought the film was uh, defamatory about him and uh, all of this sort of stuff and they were cashing in on his name and all this stuff and so she actually sued it was a big I don't have all the information I'll post the link in the show notes people can read more about it but she actually um, won. And uh, MGM had to pay her $125,000 in 1933 dollars. I I don't have the conversion, but that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. They had to take the film out of circulation, and they had to take all the offending scenes out of the film permanently. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Because of all of that, uh, MGM uh, added that disclaimer that uh, basically uh, let people know that it is all now uh, (laughs) – fictional. Okay, and so that's that's really where all of this came from. That's crazy.
0: Well, it, it's so funny you bring that up because I'm listening to a great podcast called Revolutions that's doing like a step by step analysis of all of the Russian revolutions. So it did a whole thing on on Rasputin. It's it's, it's an insane story, um, but also because um, you know clearly clearly the legal restrictions have changed because I don't know if we can say for sure that Rasputin was either the lover of the Russian queen or Russia's famous love machine as the fantastic. <laughs> The awful disco song from the 70s by Boney M, Rasputin would tell you. Um, but those are two claims made by the song. So clearly something has changed um, or there's some <laughs> disclaimer in that song. Uh, if you don't know the song because you're not an old man like I am, definitely check it out. Google the video. It's one of the strangest 70s things that you've ever seen, but wonderful. Ra rah, Rasputin lover of the Russian queen. All right, now we've gone. Let's pull ourselves way back from tangent land. I think we spent 10 minutes on that, but it's beautiful. Um, So, Andy, I don't know if you've ever done fantasy football, but the desire for, for statistical analysis can hit every part of our lives. I know we're going to go deep on the statistical analysis of these credits. Uh, But before that, do you have any other last things to jump in with?
1: Just a couple uh, quick things. Um, One, uh, it does say that the score was orchestrated by Patrick Doyle and James Sherman, which is always great to see. So many times the person composing the music does not actually do the orchestrations, which is actually like taking all the music and writing it all to fit all the different parts. They just basically write the different themes and then the orchestrator comes in to actually write it. I love seeing when the composer actually is also involved in the orchestration process Mm -hmm. um so that was my first little note um the other little note we get uh is you know in the special thanks i just wanted to kind of mention all the other things that get special thanks we have bulgari and swarovski uh those are the uh the companies that provided all the fantastic uh jewelry that we have okay um uh frigga wearing Nice. I don't think Jane is ever wearing anything that fancy. It's all pretty much Frigga. Frigga gets all the special treatment in this particular movie.
0: <laughs> well done. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely true. Yeah, Jane wearing a million-dollar diamond would probably not fit her character. <laughs> t- if right. else, like, sell that for your funding. Exactly. I, I remember there's some movie I watched, I think it might be a James Bond movie, where they actually had a credit for the armored car in which the jewelry was transported <laughs> to and from sets. So clearly we're not quite at that point.
1: No, but still. And then, uh, and then we have, um, we, we mentioned this back when we were first on Jotunheim, but we have stills provided by Getty Images. And then we have Paul Nicklin National Geographic Image Collection and Norbert Rosing National Geographic Image Collection. That's because those two photographers have taken some amazing photography of the ice kind of formations mm. on both the, the North and South Poles that you just get the way that the ice is kind of carved by the wind. And so they ended up, um, the the CG teams pulled a lot of kind of like ideas from their images as to how ice forms, especially when it's like being blasted by heavy winds, like the casket would blow. And so, oh, so that nice. was where a lot of that came from. And I'm guessing that's where the U.S. Geological Survey also came into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I couldn't figure out, I was trying to dig around, like, what was the U.S. Geological Survey's part? I, I just don't know what they were doing. I think it has to do with land landscapes also that would be my best guess
0: yeah that would make sense this this is going back a bit in the credits but i should mention we we're talking about all these different companies Andy, you sent me some videos that different ones had put out and at least one or two of them are ones that in my uh uh days of ill-spent youth when i would go to uh dance parties and raves and things like that uh, if there was a geeky version i'm pretty sure you would see there was one that just took like i think it was the one that did all the like the yggdrasil type things and it took all their effects and put it to like you know uh, kind of a rave you know edm kind of beat and definitely yeah. great videos to, to google if you can find
1: them <laughs> yeah they're very cool very very cool um, we have uh, a special thanks to the giant slayer by ian lawrence which we mentioned that's the book that uh that stellan or that eric i should say picks up in the library none of the other books are are given any special thanks i guess that's probably just the one because that is the one that he does pick up they probably needed the rights for that one i guess um, and then the last one of note here is an you know neither of us could figure this out but apparently there is a poster of the film quinceñera that appears courtesy of sony sony picture classics where the heck did this poster uh, like I looked through the library, I'm like, where would a movie poster have appeared? Was it on a street of Puente Antiquo, and we didn't notice that there was a poster frame on the wall? I, I
0: I can suggest this because I don't have to pay for it. You can cut this out, but you should offer like <laughs> a, a free one month uh subscription or like a T-shirt or something to anybody who can screenshot uh you know and send us in a screenshot of of that moment because I have no memory of this anywhere in the movie. <laughs>
1: It's so, so strange. Like, I I saw that. I'm like, Quinceañera? Where was that in the movie? I I just don't know. I missed it. Unfortunately, Um, it's in there somewhere, apparently. But uh, yeah, let us know if you've spotted it. We would love to be able to (laughs) pinpoint where the Quinceañera movie poster is. Uh Uh-huh. And then the last little thing, um, you know, there's always a Motion Picture Association of America with a certifi- certificate number. Uh, the certificate number for this film is 46775. And just out of curiosity, I'm like, I wonder what film came next. It was the documentary, Page One, Inside the New York Times. That was 46776.
0: So I, I watched go. that. And I was thinking, like, I, I mean, it's still it's a very large number, but you think of, like, the more than 100 years people have been making movies with, with, I think, the Motion Picture Association, does that mean that there have been – this was literally the 46,700th? Like somehow I would have thought that yeah. one would be a lot higher.
1: Well, these are just the ones that are certified by the Motion Picture Association of America. This isn't foreign films. This isn't um, – like there, there are certain independent films that probably didn't go through the cert- certification process. Um, yeah, so it's just films that have kind of like been cranked through their system.
0: Right, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, so I think let's let's go to fantasy football. Um, I have a hunch. I am hoping that the the name Matthew or Matt uh, appears more often in the credits than either Andrew or Andy. Uh, I think those <laughs> are the, the two ways: Matthew, Matt, Andy, Andrew. Uh, what what what's the final numbers?
1: You uh, would be correct. Uh, Matthew Matt appeared twenty one times in the credits, whereas Andy Andrew only appeared five it was embarrassingly low what a what a poor <laughs> poor round for me okay, um, okay. just just a, just a few other ones kenneth i looked up kenneth there were seven kenneths guess how many Chris's there were chris um, th- th- there's chris christopher Christoph, christian
0: oh i'm going to guess like 15
1: <laughs> you would be way low no. uh, it is actually as uh, 50 uh, 66 Wow. Okay. 66. Yeah. Very, very popular name.
0: I, I'm also going to guess that in a movie that that is so much about Scandinavians and the like, uh, we'll probably get, well, I don't know if it would pop up in the credits, but I'm thinking Nelson's going to do a lot better than Fox.
1: You know, I didn't even look for Nelson. Uh, I should have thought about that. I'm searching for Nelson and I find five. Uh, so, no, I, I take that back. Four. I take, there's only four Nelsons. A Fox, um, only one. Yeah, that sounds about right. And it's, and it's a middle name. The middle name that sounds about right, so yeah, sorry about that. Um, guess how many Thors there are? <laughs> that should be an easy guess. Uh, one zero, I mean, other than the character name, but okay, real people, with Thor- with. yeah, yeah, zero Thors. Natalie's, there were only two okay. Janes, there were no Janes, except interestingly, the middle name for a person whose name was Pepper Jane Gallegos what the heck are the odds of having an actual pepper in an MCU credits? Like, there were yeah. no peppers. And I said this back in Iron Man. I'm like, Shh, there's never going to be a pepper. This is the pepper right here on Thor. <laughs> so I mean, and
0: part of that, especially with the, no- slow lovers of all the low numbers of all of those names, like, given that gender is not an easily, like, boxable thing, I don't know if you could, like, categorize all the names. You, could, you couldn't just go by the credits and figure out how many people are men, how many people are women, how many people are non-binary. But I, I am guessing that, Probably 80 to 90 percent of these credits have names that would, at first glance, seem to be more likely male than female or non-binary.
1: I don't know if that would be um, a completely fair assessment. No, yeah, I I don't. I think, I mean, film productions you would find are, are very much pretty spread out so that's i, I think know. that's good to hear. the team i mean there are certain departments like you're going to find more men than women likely in the grip and electric departments but um it's that's not always the case and then like in the costume department like you might in the, in the hair makeup you might find more more women but again that's not always the case it's it, it there's just such a variety of people in, in all of those different departments
0: that's good to hear yeah. uh, what are any other important stats that you found
1: yeah. So I'll just run through the names. So there were 10 Toms and Thomases. There were 17 Anthonys or Tonys. Uh, there were uh, there was only one Cat, unfortunately. Uh, there were th- only one Idris. There were three Rays, eight Joshes, only one Jamie, one Renee. There were um, the most common names. Uh, I- again, I-, I already mentioned Chris, but David, there were 62 Davids, 51 Michaels, and 36 Johns.
0: You know, someone once calculated that the freshman class that when I went to college was 0.5% Dave. So I'm not surprised that there were this many Davids.
1: So many, yeah, so many. Um, I always think that the the people who are juniors, seniors, or or thirds are interesting. So there were 23 juniors. There weren't any seniors on this film, um, but there were 10 people who were the third. Oh, interesting. uh, Okay, which is I, I always find interesting. Yeah. Um. It's also interesting when people go by abbreviations. So I, I looked at what were the people who had just – their name was an abbreviation. So we had DW, EJ, FC, HW, JD, JE, KC, KL, KM, MW, and VW.
0: You know, I think of that abbreviation as something that's going to roll off the tongue. H-W.
1: Like, I know. I, I – that was the one that stood out for me too.
0: <laughs> Henry Wilson. I'm trying to think, like, you know, because often it's like, yeah, JR, it's okay. John Ross, you know, like it, 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 it uh, TJ, I guess TJ doesn't often, you know, know exactly what that stands
1: for. Um, but HW, it's like, it's, it seems like more difficult to say.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but speaking of, uh, more difficult to say, there are people who don't want to go by their names and they go by the nicknames instead. These are the nicknames that we had on the, on the film Chip Chops. Drusta, E338, which is the strangest one, Ernie, (laughs) Fuzz, G, Hap, Jack, Jim, Kobe, Lee, Mick, Mitty, Nico, Cy, Tex, Tiny, Tony, Trip, Wally, Woody, and Yo.
0: Okay. Well, Yo, do we, I mean, like, you know, Yo-Yo Ma, like Yo can be a name in in some context. Do we know that that wasn't
1: I should say all of these uh, and the reason something like Tony is popping up in here, it's because it's somebody who um, who listed their their name in in quotation marks as part of their name. Oh, OK. So like you don't like it's not necessarily like Tony. Yeah, that's that. You know, of course, that's an abbreviation. But the, this one specifically was listed oh, okay. as like Anthony okay. quotation Tony. So it's, uh, yeah, so that's why I listened. So Yo is actually Yoichiro Aoki, who is one of our stereoscopic leads. Okay, cool. cool. So, but it goes by Yo. So there that you go. Um A couple other little things. Um, one, there's actually a person whose first name is Jorel who worked on this. And I can't help but feel like ended up in the wrong franchise. <laughs>
0: you know, uh, I remember I was talking this with some friends in a different context about five years ago. I think it was like 16 or 17, but one of the top 20 names for American uh, girls uh, babies born in like 2015 was Khaleesi. So at some point, like, you know, <laughs> Khaleesi Smith is going to be a uh, sound engineer on one of these movies, and we're just going to see that in a credit. So I guess, you know, call it kal Kalel. Yep.
1: Yeah. There it is. Um, and then the last little bit of statistical information that I had was, you know, you see a lot of these big blocks of names as we're going through the credits and so i I counted how many names were in some of these big blocks and i wanted to kind of go through them especially knowing that the actual credited cast is made up of 48 people so okay let's use that as kind of a jumping off point right utility stunt players um and if you add the the separately listed frost giant utility stunts 57 utility Mm. stunt players on the film a lot oh, of them. Pretty cool. Um, at Film Illusions Incorporated, their crew was 56 people. Um, at uh, the New Mexico, you, you were talking about drivers. Mm-hmm. The total drivers between New Mexico and uh, L.A., the, the total number of drivers that we had was 63. Okay. So, a lot of people driving the vehicles on the on the. Film. I mean, you
0: think about, like, those shots out in the middle of the desert where not only does all the stuff that appear on camera have to get out there, but, you know, all the cameras have to get out there, all the lighting stuff, and then all the people, and then all the food for all the people, and all the cops. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, the, you realize just how much goes into just, you know, shooting some of those outdoor shots that are out exactly. in the middle of nowhere.
1: Right. Um, Buff, we mentioned Buff, the French company that did a lot of the effects work. Their CG supervisors, they had 14 Their CG senior artists, they had 47. Their visual coordinators, they had 11. Software development, 11. The render farm, 11. But interestingly, their graphic artists, 78 people working as graphic artists for that company Hmm. on this film. A lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then the last big number that I have, uh, you brought up stereoscopic artists. And you were trying to guess how many stereoscopic artists would it take to, uh, to do a film like this? Uh, it was 72, 72 people. And then the Roto artists, 58. So a lot of people involved in doing the 3D conversion.
0: So I don't know if you have this number, but how many different names appeared on these credits? Like how many actual people are listed as a credit? Because I'm, I'm going to guess from all this that we're probably into four digits.
1: Um, it, We are into four digits. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I can't say that this is completely 100% um, across the board exact because there might be a, a couple people who are credited twice in different departments, things like that. But just what I have here, including, I mean, including some of the like the special thanks and stuff like that. We're looking at 2,628 people.
0: When you realize like just how wide a net they are throwing to credit everyone and anybody – being one of those, like, uncredited Asgardians is just got to be so <laughs> frustrating of, like, 2,600 people got their name on this damn movie. But, you know, even though you did a great job, like, filing checks in the uh, office for Marvel or, you know, holding that spear in front of Odin, you still didn't get a credit. That's, that's got to be hard.
1: Well and I will say like the the what I I pulled this from IMDb and so there are people who actually are uncredited who have listed themselves on IMDb as mm. part of the film because you can do that you can get yourself listed and you would just show up as uncredited so there are some so 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 this number does include some of the uncredited people but it doesn't include all of them because not everybody knows enough to do that and so you know it's it's still it's it's better but still I'd love to know what the actual number is
0: Alright, well, <clears throat> I think that's uh, we can wrap up um, movie fantasy football and uh, call this a day. Uh, Andy, as always, it's been so great. I mean, I think that's, what a great example of, you know, Andy and I kind of divided things up. Originally, I was just going to be kind of running the show. We couldn't find a co-host. Andy jumped in. And we kind of divided up that I was going to be kind of like the, the voice and the lead. And I would come up with like the questions and stuff. And and I did a lot of the, the background research. But, Andy, you just did so much of that going into so much detail. And I think what we just saw is such a perfect example of that. So I just want to say thank you so much for all the work you did on that. I think it made this show such a great thing. Uh, and, and so thank you to you. It's been such a pleasure working with you. We've got two more days to go to our audience. Thank you so much for tuning in all through this time. And have a great day.
1: Until next time, true believers.